episode 30 in the bag, Jaws, and understanding anxiety. Billy, what are people going to learn today? I'm going to learn how amazing our listeners are at sending in questions. Uh, yeah, we just had overwhelming response, most we've had, um, and some real genuine honesty and really good practical questions about how to support kids that are anxious. Yeah, we went longer form with the questions today. So typically we actually distill some of the questions, but we let them ride this week because the context is really important around anxiety. So understanding people's situations should help other parents recognise that it's not straightforward. It is a little bit complex, right? Yeah, and we're going to do lots more on anxiety, but this was a great intro to how we better understand it. Brilliant. Thank you. And again, this episode and the part two episode is completely driven by questions from our listeners or fans, depending on what they call themselves. (laughs) Fans is what Nick likes to say. And we we appreciate them. So this is what drives the app. It's everything to us. We don't have a second part episode to our topics unless we get those questions. So please keep sending them through and we hope you enjoy. Hi. I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. I was going to say good morning, Billy, but it's taken us so long. I think it's the afternoon to get going today. How are you? Yes, good. I'm really good, actually. That's a morning well spent in my books. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of faffery, but it's been fine so far. Yeah, beautiful morning. And I think you started your day... Outdoor shower, just embracing nature. <laughs> it's often how I do start the day. Yes, we have a small shower outside. Enough of that. Um, we're here for episode 30. Episode 30, yeah, milestone. Yeah, yeah. So this is the second part episode of Jaws and Understanding Anxiety. Wow, here we are, 30 eps in. Mm. Yep, great, great episode. Questions, phenomenal. Like I've been thinking about... What's motivating me because I'm just enjoying doing the podcast so much and I think mm-hmm. maybe you're, you can talk to this too. I sit in clinic and hear these amazing stories and you know get to journey with families but I feel like we get that on this as well and that's the amazing thing and these questions are going to articulate that, that experience that these families amazingly share with us. Yeah, you gave me that context. Obviously, I'm not in clinic um, at all. With you or anywhere near writing profession. I think that ship has sailed. I don't think I need a 41-year-old starting medicine. Um, But it's interesting because, yeah, obviously the emails uh, we get through, uh, they're they're really detailed. And today for the first time we're going to provide a lot more of the detail and colour around what people have said to give people enough context, particularly around this topic of anxiety because um, the feedback has been – overwhelming and the most responses we've had from people so we've really picked the eyes out of a few things and um, a couple of people's uh, questions will be picked up in other people's ones but we just want to be really specific this week so we're going to read out all the questions. Um, Yeah and I think it's really important because what parents and carers that are sending in these questions to us are doing is they're obviously help seeking but they're actually helping all of the families out there and the professionals get context of what this experience is like for so many families and I really take my hat off to the people that have been so honest and open about sharing their experience and their worries and what they're doing. And what we're going to hear is from six amazing parents today that are doing a phenomenal job of supporting their kids that are struggling. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, so I reckon we crack on because we've got a little bit to get through today. Yeah. Um, but yes, what are you smiling at? Oh, I just, uh, yeah, I still neither of us will look at the timer until 45 minutes. No, in. we never do. <laughs> just conscious because we've, we've had a bit of a run through of some of the questions. They're fantastic. Question number one came via email and our email is popcultureparenting at gmail. So thanks for sending it through. Love the podcast. I'm recommending to, it to all the people. My 14-year-old suffers from a lot of anxiety. She's, she leaves the classroom when she gets something wrong, shaking, can't talk or hear very well wide eyes often grips the wall luckily school provides a well-being space and she can use to calm down and reset until she ready is ready to return to class she sees a psychologist once a fortnight and is working through lots of schoolwork anxiety responses 
she loves she loves dance but chooses to but chose to quit over a year ago because she spent a portion of every class in the corner shaking and then was so ashamed and upset afterwards often crying after class unable to tell me what had happened it mostly seemed related to her thinking everyone was better than her at something or if she had made a mistake my question is really about my role as a parent and the best way for me to respond we're currently doing a lot of low key multi age tap oh, sorry we're currently doing a very low key multi age tap dancing class together so she can do some dance in a more supportive environment with me but i'm never sure exactly what to do when she has these anxious frozen moments which happens at least once every class at the moment i stand with her while she's shaking in the corner and the rest of the class is dancing i ask her what she'd like to do and then ask her if she's ready to go back in i try and talk with her about try and talk with her after the class at a more chill time I ask her what she would like me to do was there a trigger but she usually just says she doesn't know and if i get and and i often get a real energy that she's ashamed and doesn't want to talk about it i find it so hard i can see she's stressed by her own response and she always <clears throat> seems better when she joins back in because everyone is not looking at her all the options for how i can respond seem wrong to be pushing her to join back in to just stand there with her and do nothing she hates being touched or hugged when she is upset or just try and give her some chill energy this is my current response or to go and ignore her and keep dancing so tricky what do you think is the best way for me to do this is going to the class even the right choice she really wanted to do it but it may be a bit less keen now but she may be a bit less keen now would it be good would it be good to talk really explicitly about her anxiety to her and to use the class to come up with a process to try and help her manage her anxiety yeah amazing question like pretty much all the questions that we get through this the bit that's missing for me is i don't get to meet these families and that's the hard bit for me because i get so much out of that and i hear that story and the first time i read that i kind of went god i really wish that i was in clinic with this family but what we're trying to do essentially with this podcast is take away that kind of 18 month wait knowing most people don't see it you know see those people like me anyway but what a difficult thing that must be for that parent to have their child experiencing that and feeling helpless in what to do um i think the first thing to acknowledge is that there is an amazing thing that that parent is already doing um which is that supporting them and physically being there with them we do a lot of um stuff around what's called mental health first aid which is kind of what do you do if you're not a psychologist or a developmental pediatrician or a psychiatrist what do you do when a child is struggling and what you can see that this parent is articulating well is she's trying to be there but not to put too much pressure on this child and that is a really great goal to have because you're conscious of the need for the support but not wanting to put too much pressure and you can tell that she's gently checking in and saying like was there a trigger like you know what's going on and the child can't articulate it which is really common but still worth thinking about and i think it is good to kind of explicitly talk with kids this age about anxiety and even younger and we know that emotional literacy is a really important part of childhood development. It sets kids up for when they get older, they kind of understand what's normal, you know, having feelings, why can't I control this, those type of things. I think that's – so the bit of like when she's really struggling, what do I do? I think you kind of try and be really in tune with what her behaviour is showing you is working and what isn't. And you can see that that parent is doing that, is saying that kind of – when I do this, she struggles more and, you know, she kind of, it seems to be this kind of thing about she's not good enough. That's classic anxiety, performance anxiety, social anxiety that teenagers experience and really common. Um, the other bit about like what should we do about the class, there's obviously lots of different options and none of them are the right one or none of them are the wrong one. It's just about watching kind of what response you get from that. I really like how this parent is saying in the moment – like there's not a lot of ability to have a conversation and then that articulation often happens afterwards so they can sit afterwards and say, look, what's going on and what do we do and all that stuff. But often it's the lead up where we're actually trying to develop skills in how do we handle that and we'll talk to that to some of the other questions as well. 
in terms of whether we go to the class, like I think it's about what you've talked about, Nick. Like, you know, how do you find that safe environment to come back into? And this parent is being amazing. Like now they're doing the class with the child and all that stuff. But if they're seeing that kind of every class, there's this real overwhelming experience that the child is having where they are almost kind of freezing up, then that would be a little bit of a sign to me that 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 is too much of a stretch at the moment. And like you said in a couple of episodes, you know, coming out of that environment and working on it in an easier way to achieve it that has less pressure on the child, then you get to the point where you're doing the class together and then you get to the point where she's doing the class on her own. Cool. I've got a question for you because clearly this seems to be something that they both enjoy, so therefore you probably wouldn't want to totally scrap it. Mm It's a question. It's definitely not advice. Would you consider like flagging, heading in and saying, hey, look, I know you don't often get through the whole class. Maybe we just try and get through the first 15 today. And if you get through that first 15, that's a really big win. I don't know. I'm just trying to think instead of like, let's go the whole class. It's an hour and a half of dance on a Tuesday night or whatever it is. Yeah. That's probably a bridge too far. If you like, and then we won't we can leave if it gets too much and then maybe trying to build up to stay longer i don't know i'm just trying to think like how would you try and progress it or do you not do it no 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 and we're gonna so the hard thing about this is such a big topic that we're going to do multiple topics on it but an element of we're going to talk we'll do an episode just on therapy for anxiety because it's really important and that needs two episodes needs episodes yeah be like a five minute grab but no 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 you've got a really good point one element of cbt cognitive behavioral therapy which we will do an episode on mm-hmm. is exposure and what you're talking about is exposure yeah it's just exposure comes after like psychoeducation what is anxiety what's going on in your body all that oh, stuff cool. exposure comes after kind of how do you have different thought processes how do you have solutions okay. to when those feelings come over you that's not to say that your suggestion of like Let's do it for 15 minutes. That might be the right one. It actually might be the right one to keep doing the class. The important bit, which this parent will be amazing at, is try and make that plan with your teenager. Yeah. So the teenager goes, no, 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 I definitely have to go to the class because if I don't go to the class, everyone will notice and I won't be doing any dancing and dancing is a really important part of my narrative and all that stuff. But make a plan with them and go, cool, that's awesome. I'm going to support you in that. How can I better support you? Like what's the the thing that we do like and all that stuff. And the plan might be, yeah, mum, you just stand with me when I have those moments. I don't like being hugged and stuff, but I really appreciate you being there. And then when I go back in, it's really important to me that that happens. I get the chance at the end of the class to succeed you know, I get to celebrate that with my peers and then we go away and just make a plan that, you know, continues to improve upon it. But there's a hint at the end there that the child isn't enjoying dance as much as they used to. So sometimes kind of stepping back out of it, like out of that environment, out of that level of pressure or expectation can be a good way to then get back to an even higher level of functioning in three steps. Yeah, okay. But I could talk to that question for an entire episode. Yeah, it feels like all of this, but it is such a good question, and it will guide future topics on anxiety. Three steps? Did you say at the end there? Uh, Oh, three steps in terms of like sometimes what parents are looking for is like, what's the step so that she can be in the class on her own without any distress? I don't have to be in the class with her, and she doesn't freeze up, and she doesn't get stressed, and all those things. The the hardest thing that we do sometimes is the pace we want to go at. We want it to be one step and a lot of parents, therapists, educators, anyone can do it in one step. The kid can't. Yep. The kid needs three steps and often the first step is can feel like a step backwards or a sidestep yep. because you're like, how is this actually, you're telling me to do less of what she's struggling with? But it's an important one because you pull them back, high, less expectation, higher level of success and then you step forward go cool we're nailing this let's get back to the point and see how we go and i'm going to have eyes on you and this parent is doing a phenomenal job of having eyes and getting a sense of how this kid's going yeah just the articulation and thought around it all like yeah massive props to the parent for that one Mm -hmm. cool awesome thanks for that one okay gonna move to the second email popcultureparenting at uh, gmail.com if you want to send through questions on episodes um i have recently started to listen to your podcast pop culture parenting and it drew an immediate resonance Recently, after I drop off my daughter at daycare, I can be found in the car eating toast in my own driveway, just hanging out to finish listening to an episode. This is good Mind stuff. someone I know. <laughs> my, eating in the car and getting some time is important. Sorry. Sorry. Back to the question. 
My husband is now on the bandwagon and loves the input from you guys on the topics you're covering. As the great doc from Back to the Future would would say, roads, we don't need roads, but we're going, Marty. I do feel like parenting this generation is like carving out a whole new parenting method that has not been done before. With so much information and advice, it can be also it can also be so overwhelming. Much seems to be looking back at our past influences, how our parents raised us and starting to shake off some of the shame and fear of the past generations were subjected to and not passing that particular gauntlet on. So that being said, I have a question for you. Our beautiful daughter is 20 months old. She's an amazing girl. The main issue, she will act quite differently with mum, me, as she does with dad. One particular event is in the morning when I get up to have a morning shower. She might be in the spare room bed with me overnight depending on the night i hand it to my husband she throws an atomic tantrum to the point of not being able to calm down she often will test all boundaries with me a lot but not very much with dad even though i am reinforcing the same rules she has a good relationship with her dad and even spends whole days with him while i'm at work she can't we, we can't work out why this is happening or how to improve transitions I'm aware this could be part of separation anxiety, but I want to help her through this rather than just weather the storm. Can you? How do you feel about reading that question in terms of like <laughs> one parent they're like this and then when they go to the other parent they're like that? Yeah, I, completely. Um, I don't – This the, everyone is completely different, but man, that 20-month mark, I've seen that twice. Like I've had two daughters do that. And I'm not saying it's just an age and stage thing and it will, the, the storm will pass. I'm certainly not saying that about what this person's come up with, but I'm like, yep, and I'm now at 24 months and it's just started coming back again. It's like I can't change the nappy. I can't do the pickup. I, I, yeah. I come in the middle of the night and just not getting – I'm getting sent back like – and how does that make you feel, Nick? It doesn't make me feel great, Billy, because I feel like I do equal the amount of work and all that stuff, but you don't get the – it's difficult. It's 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 tough. And it's it's wearing. That's the other thing. Like mm. once or twice, it's quite – I'll be honest, I find it quite funny. I'm like, oh, doesn't even want me. After a while, it's less humorous and it's like this is frustrating because I can fix the situation. The child won't let me. Yeah. Or I can help. I can't fix it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can be present and do the pickup, but yeah. So yeah. what do you think, before we get to the kind of separation anxiety bit and all those things, what do you think if you, if you were kind of giving advice about what to do when kind of a 20-month-old, you know, when Freddie or Ronnie was doing it, kind of wouldn't let you change them, wouldn't let you do, have a big meltdown when it was daddy's turn to do bedtime? Change change the nap. Well, change the nappy, I'd probably just let mum do it all. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, what I would do is I'd actually, because I've done this, because I asked you this like two years ago about this, what I've done in the past is um, I kind of set up a, a roster and we sort of built up to that. So we'd alternate nights for put down because that was the biggest thing I couldn't do was put down and I would do one night and then mum would do the next. And it was because, and we'd frame it as because dad really wants to do it and mum would say it. So coming from mum, that was really important. Um, and he's really excited to do it, and we'd sort of lead into it a bit. So this is mum's turn tonight, it's dad's turn, and that worked for yep. us. But that's that's what we did for that particular thing. Yeah, definitely. And look, what this this question's got a few things to touch on. Um, it's once again an amazing question. Um, yeah, so the the bit about like the child is different with a different parent or caregiver, despite us both being the same, is a common thing that we see in clinic. Like how come it's fine with dad but it's not with me or whatever it is and for kids that are lucky enough to have two parents or caregivers involved in their life there is no way that both parents are the same but that's a really important thing because what the kid does experiences the strengths of mum and the different strengths of dad and it, it also talks to like the person who's primarily with the child the most is going to have the hardest time being consistent it's just a pure numbers game. If you're the person that does this, that thing 10 times a day and then someone swings in and has to do it five times a week, it's easy for the person that does it five times a week to do it consistently, to not get stressed about it, to not, you know, crack it and not to be, you know, a bit, God, you know, I wish you'd just sit still for this nappy yep. and putting stress in the situation. It's just easier. The The other thing is that this mum is beautifully articulating the um, this really – common occurrence in this period of life at 20 months of age 
of difficulty transitioning from primary caregiver even to another caregiver. And that is not something that rings alarm bells for me clinically, especially if, you know, this child is so well supported by a parent like this. Separation anxiety is actually really common in kids from about nine months of age to, you know, just shy of two, which is the period this child's in. And most kids by kind of three, three and a half have gotten good at separating from a primary caregiver or separation anxiety can also be like can't leave an environment like the house. Mm -hmm. It's usually an attachment, so the primary caregiver. And so what I would say is really gently give opportunities for this child to stretch, not just in the transition between mum and dad, but the transition to other family members, Mm -hmm. distance on the playground. I'm not sure what's happening with daycare and stuff, but Mm -hmm. we... You know, often parents, including myself and my partner, feel guilty about daycare, but daycare is actually an amazing opportunity to stretch in terms of separating and being comfortable with it. And I saw a beautiful example of this. I'll talk about it on the next podcast um, a bit more, but I had to take my daughter to the doctor the other day and she was really like, who is this? This is a strange environment. This person's trying to interact with me. And she guarded up, tucked into me, wouldn't Mm. make eye contact. But after five minutes, she's crawling around the whole doctor's room Mm. and I've got to worry about what she's going to play with and, you know, all those things because she's kind of transitioned well and that's what this parent is doing really well. Mm. The final bit of this question, you know, the the kind of tantrum that she's describing, Mm. yeah, you just – you kind of – try as much as you can to role model being calm in that environment, recognising that it's really hard and a bit like the sweet spot you talked about, you kind of don't walk out and go, I'm just going to ignore you because you're having a tantrum because it might stop the tantrum, but the kid is communicating, especially at 20 months, I don't want this and they're either angry, stressed, scared, whatever. So if you can think about what that is, but also you you obviously don't want to reinforce it, which I'm a hypocrite here. Because my daughter, every time she sees me, she wants to be picked up. If I don't pick her up, she cracks it. And so then I pick her up and she does not do that to her mum. So tough stuff, easy to say, tough oh, to do. Yeah, it's in, if it's a one-off, it's easy. It's that whole thing. It's like this isn't one-off. This is four times an hour Yeah, every hour. Yeah. <laughs> so as much as possible, kind of remaining calm, thinking what's happened. But a 20-month-old doing that is really common and I, yeah. I wouldn't be worried if they can separate in certain ways and especially after a bit of time and they finally are cool with being with dad or whatever it is. That's kind of normal stuff, but if there are functional problems, like we can't, they can't come out of my arms, like can't be with another person, get really distressed and all those things, then that's when I'd start to worry a bit more about it. Did you like my rostering idea though, just that little one? Does that work in this instance? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great okay. example. I often forget how long we've been talking about this stuff and it's it's quite funny, even before this episode started recording, we were reflecting on like being in different environments and think. Yeah, and you were just saying like we're 30 eps into this mm. and kind of the journey that it's been for you and I and that's kind of the other oh, cool yeah. thing about what we do is we get to kind of really – it kind of forces us to think about how we're parenting and are we doing it really yeah. well, you know, obviously all the good enough stuff. I didn't dedicate an hour each week before this podcast to thinking about my parenting. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest. You know, it was yeah. often mum would read a book. That was it, to be honest. I'd often hit you up for information. Like that was it. But yeah. the podcast makes me do it, which is a good thing. I know. And that, that's the amazing thing that the start of this, this question started with was that reflection on like the biggest influence of how we parent is how we were parented. And this parent talks about like it's such a different world now. And yeah, the, it, you know, the doc saying, you know, we don't need roads. There, there are no roads for this stuff. Like no. we'll wait until we get to the screen time stuff. You know, like there's all these parents that are going through everything that's in the world at the moment. Is, is unprecedented so there are no roads we're just trying to build those roads together and when we come off the road we kind of collectively go how do we get back to where we want to be yeah we're not all on the same stretch of a road that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> cool next one uh via instagram pop culture parenting is the instagram handle you can message us via there hi i've got a four-year-old hyper vigilant and anxious around possessions child wants whatever brother is playing with, even if not interested previously, using body to express this, i.e. hitting, falling over and saying others pushed him when no one was around, irrational comments and can't be spoken to when melting down. Uber determined, loves knowledge and logic, likes control, lots of solutions and alternatives, wants adult attention a great deal and notices everything. My question Are there some ways to help him or us with reducing his stress around the trigger of his little brother playing with toys in our home or with him 
um, or him being so keen on control, both of which we assume are linked to anxiety. Yeah, definitely. And it can be like, um, yeah. So there's a couple of things in this one as well, like a a really in tune parent recognizing Mm. that this is a really kind of articulate and bright four-year-old. And often that's why this child is showing such high levels of behaviors and strategies to be in control and they're right. The anxiety can be underneath that because often anxiety is a lack of control and predictability. Mm-hmm. So this child is trying to kind of make sure that everything stays the way they want it by exerting their quite advanced or whatever abilities in like, hey, you pushed me over. And the parent's like, no one's even here. Yep. But they're like, that's a strategy for either attention, yeah, support, yeah. whatever they're wanting to come in. And that's not, that doesn't mean we ignore it, but just recognising it. And that kind of sibling you know, desire to have whatever they're having is really common because that child is not old enough yet, like we've talked about on a number of episodes, to have a real understanding of what the experience of their younger sibling is or their parent. So the only needs they can actually conceptualise in their mind or even consider are their own. So it's not like they're ignoring (laughs) their brother's feelings or their mum's feelings or their dad's feelings. They just can only see what they want. Yeah, and that's that sort of, the sort of height of their ego around three sort of things yeah. that you've always said. It's like, I am the only one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my colleague, I think I've said it on the podcast before, but he says, um, yeah, if four-year-olds are adults, that'll be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> just because, you know, that's what their behaviour is because they're not. They're just like, the world is mine. I control it. <laughs> Sounds like a Bond film. Everything is for <laughs> like me. Like a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, 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 the Four-year-old. World, the world is mine. But, yeah, so it's a really good example. And the question of, like, what do we do is a great one. And we often talk about this in clinic where what happens is, and you would have seen this, Mm. kids are playing well. Mm. You're like, sweet, I'm going to go clean the house, I'm going to get dinner, I'm going to do workout, whatever it is. And you're like, cool. But what happens if they start not playing well? I've got to go fix it. Yep. So what do you do? You go into them. Yep. The hardest, one of the hardest things in parenting is trying to go in when they're succeeding at something. So what you often do is go, cool, they're actually now fighting over the toy. I need to go in and sort it out. And that is usually the older child is wanting that structure to come in and scaffolding to come in because, hey, I want the toy and he's got it or whatever. So what we've got to try and do is give them the level of support required to behave in the way that we expect them to where they're sharing and taking turns and all that stuff. And then you back out of it. And then you go in and, and that's the hardest thing for parenting is that when kids are kind of doing what we expect them to do, we're often not reinforcing it. We're kind of coming out and going, sweet, I'll get dinner ready. Mm, Everything's like good this. here. So if you can kind of have some moments of checking in and going, like we've said in a previous podcast, be specific in your praise. I really am impressed with the effort you are making to make sure that your brother gets a turn. Yeah, it's game. impressed with the behaviour, not with like the – person it's yeah like not with you're not you're, you're such a good girl because you're sharing it's like i love how you're sharing it's yeah. amazing how yeah. Well and, you're sh- yeah and like beck talked to us about you know you should be really proud of how you're doing yeah it's another good narrative around it. but what often happens is we go in and it's fine but we go in when the child is doing the thing we don't want them to do and try oh, yeah. to redirect them whereas you it's an easier step if you're there guiding them to do it well and then you back out yeah no nah, i never go in there when it's going well because, yeah, because, yeah, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm like, ain't broke, don't go near it. But I see what the thing is because they know they'll get me when it's not going well, so they'll call me. No, no, I agree with what you're saying. But yeah, totally. But you don't do that, like we've talked about heaps. You don't do that learning to ride a bike. You like no. support them in how they learn how to ride a bike. Yeah. And just go, yeah. they'll figure it out and I'll just stay out of it. You yeah. know, like, so how do you go in and do that? And often kids who are quite articulate and bright, like this little boy sounds to be are a little bit different in their emotional control abilities. Mm. So they they might be, say, 90 out of 100 in their vocabulary, mm. but they're kind of 40 out of 100 in how they regulate their emotions. Um, and so that can mean you go, man, you're so smart. Like how come you're really you struggling with it. this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like your little brother's better at this or the other kids your age don't have these difficulties. And it's because we're often setting our expectation at what their best skill is mm. and going, how come you're not awesome at that because you're awesome at this? And it's just, it talks to that. And it's often those articulate kids um, have huge capacity. We've got to be careful we're not expecting them to do something they actually haven't learned how to do yet. Yeah, totally. Cool. I like that one. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay three to go. Three to go. Four to go. Three to go. Um, okay. 
via Instagram. My 12-year-old boy has always been complaining about being sore after minor physical activity and we couldn't understand why he was sore. I'm now realising it must be tension he is holding in his body due to anxiety. Frequently mentioned on a Sunday night or the night before his least favourite day of school is most common. How do I help him understand anxiety? He's formed the opinion that it is just being scared of something and he's not scared of anything. I also feel like he thinks that there that then there is something wrong with him for years. He already has a negative response, a negative sense of self and has a glass half empty view of the world. Gratitude doesn't come easily for him. Question Why is it why is it the child that needs the strategies and techniques to help just wants to refuse them completely? I guess all I can do is model good self care behaviour and listen but not fix if he ever shares with me. Maybe you can talk about this if something others are going through as well. Absolutely love your podcast. What a Amazing. Question. I love that question. Yeah, yeah. I love all these questions. But yeah, that, that one is... The one around the strategies and the kids that need it. Are the <laughs> they refuse it completely. Yeah, so I want to I talk to that because it's such a good thing we see in clinic. Yeah. But before that, the kind of... Yeah, let's talk to... There's a few bits in that question. The first one is like... Yeah, this kind of muscle tension that's happening and it can definitely be a sign of anxiety and it is. Like it's a, you know, these kids are often holding themselves with so much stress and that's why often kids who struggle at school will be fine at school. They get home and explode because they're like, I'm finally in a safe environment. I don't have to worry about my peers making fun of me if I have a meltdown. But I'm home, mum's here, dad's here, bang. This is where it all comes out and I explode. And that kind of tension is what we're talking about. The other bit around like beautiful example, we see this in clinic all the time. The night before, Sunday night is really tough because they're anxious about school and they can't sleep, they get stressed, they start withdrawing, whatever, because they're they're anxious about the next day and that thing that is going to be challenging for them. And we've talked about, you know, in the younger age group, it's often the separation challenge, but as kids get older, it's often around kind of a social anxiety and worried about being accepted by their peers and all those things. The bit about, um, you know, how do you talk to kids about anxiety is a really good point, um, you know, because they think there's nothing wrong or however this parent articulated it um, and it's just being scared. I like to think about it like we've talked about it kind of in the context of Jaws and had a lot of people saying, it's quite funny, that was a very last minute turn on me about what movie I was going to do, but a lot of people were like, that movie was perfect. And I was like, I'm so glad that (laughs) I didn't go with some of the other ideas. But um, yep. The reason that Jaws is good is because it shows this kind of stress that we can't avoid and people were sending in saying, God, I just hear the sound of those two notes and I start feeling anxious and that's what happens to these kids. What's important to us have a discussion with kids about to build their emotional literacy from a very young age is that anxiety is normal. Anxiety is your body setting off its alarm system Mm -hmm. and going, get ready, something's about to happen, you know, get tense, all those things. When it becomes a clinical problem is when that alarm system is going off unnecessarily to the point where it's just really stressful if your alarm system's going off. And it's kind of like if it's the shark alarm in the water or the alarm system at your house, it's too finely tuned that it picks up every fish or every shadow or every bird that flies past the house or whatever. And so what we've got to do is not just say, hey, there's no shark, that's just a fish or, you know, what we've got to do is develop skills in kids so that they can realise when is it when my alarm system goes off, how can I tell my alarm system that it's okay? And that's what all, we'll do a whole episode on it, but all of the kind of coping mechanisms recognise that what is the feeling I get when I'm stressed? I get tense like this parent is talking about. What can I do to try and relieve that tension? And there's got to be a strategy that exists. It's not about just avoiding it or just dismissing it. The other thing this parent you know, talks about is... Yes, it is okay and it's a really good strategy if you can just be there and support them. And I really like how they say not fix it, but you can actually problem solve. It's just a lot of the time you can't problem solve. You need to just acknowledge, try and like without any judgment or criticism or whatever, acknowledge the experience that child is having, help them articulate it through what we've just talked about. And when possible, help the child problem solve it. So it's not that we can never get to the problem solving bit, it's just often families jump straight to the problem-solving bit and want to fix it, which is understandable. But, yeah, we've talked to that. Now, finally, 
the amazing bit about like why is it that the kid who needs it is the one uh, when I read that, my brain went straight to what we call um, stages of change. I don't know if you've heard about that before because you sometimes have heard about stuff that really impresses me. <laughs> but a lot of the time, you really impress me. Thanks, But Billy. sometimes <laughs> I'll mention something clinically and you – I remember the Maslow's hierarchy oh, Maslow, stuff. yeah, I really hit you with that You knocked that out of the park. Yeah, that's I was, right. I was ready to go into soapbox mode. <laughs> you, you cut me off. But – so what we talk about, and this is there's some amazing evidence in therapy for people as well about stages of change, and the first one is pre-contemplation. So for the five of them, it's pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance. So you can re- relate this to anything where we're looking for behaviour change. Mm-hmm. Now the problem that we stuff up in clinic or as parents or educators or whatever is we think that a person is in preparation or action phase when they're actually in pre-contemplation phase. We're like, go and do that thing. And why don't you just change? I'm supporting you. I'm doing everything right. But you're actually set up as the parent, therapist, teacher, whatever, for someone who's in action phase. And you will always fail if you don't acknowledge that they're actually not ready to make that change yet. You have to try. And it can be the biggest successful win you'll have in clinic or supporting a child in shifting them from pre-contemplation to contemplation because you're getting them ready. And all of that is what we're talking about with anxiety, is psychoeducation. How do I give them a better understanding? How do I show them they shouldn't have to feel like this all the time? They shouldn't have to go into a dance class and accept that every time at least once they will freeze up and have to do that. How do I support them in understanding that? And then you get to the contemplation phase where they start going, hey, yeah, I do understand this a bit now. I shouldn't accept that this is life. This is something that should be better and I should be able to get help for it. And This isn't all on my shoulders. And then you see these amazing wins. That We need to be really gentle with kids that are in pre-contemplation phase because we don't want to back them into a corner and then say, sort it out um, because we're taking an action response. And we could do a whole episode on how you build, how you approach pre-contemplation phase. But that's what, when I read that, I was like, yeah. And we see that all the time in clinic. Families bring kids in and go, He's anxious, he can't attend school, she's really stressed and this is going on and the kid is like completely overwhelmed by that. They're not anywhere near the phase where they can kind of change anything that's going on. So we've got to be really gentle and have strategies that are actually appropriate for that. Yeah, wow. Okay, I hadn't thought – no, no, it does. I hadn't never considered all the phasing stuff. Yeah, it's just really important that yeah. you kind of recognise that it takes a lot for anyone. And you can think about that in adults that are trying oh, to quit smoking. Like completely. We kind of go in and go, mate, how come you, you know, why don't you quit smoking? Right now. Like, just quit right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's <laughs> it's not going to where they're at, which is what we need to do with every kid we're trying to support. We go, go where, they're, where at. they're at. Yeah, I love that one. That's a ripper. Nice one. Cool. I think we're number five now. Yes, five. Yep. I just realised. Oh, sorry. Sorry, let me start again. I should have stitched you up and put some text in there. Yeah, I know. It's like Ron Burgundy. I'll read anything on the teleprompter. (laughs) It must be so amazing to do this with Billy every week. How do you enjoy other parts of life? (laughs) I just realised... Sorry, you just throw me. I just listened to the Jaws episode. Honestly, can't thank you guys enough for what you're doing. Everything you said has made me rethink one of my boys' behaviour. I thought he was just an angry kid, but now I can see that it's anxiety. I'm not sure what the trigger is, but now I'm aware I'll be able to look out for it. He has angry outbursts, wakes every night to sleep with us, constantly scanning and seems aware of what everyone else is doing. Other things I've noticed, he scratches his back, he holds his bowels for days, finds it hard to wait his turn to share, gets extremely upset when he doesn't get his way. Are these signs of anxiety? I can't believe I haven't thought about this before. I feel terrible that he's been dealing with this and I've been so frustrated with some of his behaviour. We're seeing a paediatrician at the end of the month, but I'm looking forward to listening to some strategies and how to build up his toolbox to deal with this. Amazing. Such a great question. And, yeah, definitely, like, I... So I know this parent's not saying that, but there are there are no kids and this parent obviously agrees with me on this because they're not accepting it either, but we don't just accept that a kid's angry. We go, oh, well, they're just an angry kid. 
And it's great that what this parent is doing is looking below that behaviour and saying, what's the emotional experience that's going on that this kid is demonstrating to me? And I'm guessing this kid is quite young and even teenagers are not very good at articulating. you know. And often they get kind of this learned behaviour where they just go, this is just who I am, everyone sees me as this, I'm the kid that does that or I'm the teenager that lashes out or I'm the 10-year-old who just withdraws and people just go, oh, that's just who they are. But we shouldn't kind of accept that if it's impacting, once again, functioning or quality of like what the experience of that child's life is like. And so that's why it's amazing to hear this. And definitely a lot of kids will kind of have habitual behaviours around like scratching or picking or pulling on hair or it's just someone in clinic this week who's kind of, you know, was struggling so much they were pulling their hair out because they were anxious. And we're kind of now that we've, you know, made some really massive gains to improve that, that is reducing down. And so that's yep. a really cool example of like when we actually understand what's going on we don't just kind of say hey stop pulling your hair out we go what's the actual experience of this kid and yeah controlling you know holding bowels is a really common one as well because especially at a younger age that's one of the first kind of things of control and that's why we see a lot of constipation around kind of toilet training shifting to solids starting um at daycare because it's this this physiological thing where they've lost a bit of control and so they'll often have holding behaviour. So that can def- doesn't mean every kid that's holding is anxious, but if you're seeing that in combination with the other stuff and that beautifully described like hypervigilance of like scanning around, seeing what's going on, you know, that's a seeking control and seeking like predictability because that anxiety is reduced with those behaviours. So what we want to do, and this parent often, you know, has such a good way of thinking about the toolbox, is you want to kind of build in strategies that are, like we said, go to where the kid is at and think about what are specific strategies that can be used to try and alleviate that kind of stress that that child is experiencing. And as this parent has done beautifully, the first step of that is acknowledging what the experience is for the kid. The second step is thinking about some really appropriate, you know, behaviourally kind of correct you know instead of punitive instead of like stress trying to be calm and think about what are the things that I can do to try and help alleviate some of that burden and kind of support my child in not being so hyper vigilant and all of those things and sometimes it is gently reducing the control away you know taking off that kind of predictability kind of stretching them a little bit but doing it in a really supportive environment and that always starts with a lot of scaffolding from a caregiver, knowing that the last opportunity for that child to succeed at doing that, at not being hypervigilant, not mm-hmm. scratching, holding bowels, lashing out, whatever, is going to be when they don't have that support. So we've got to remember there's like 10 steps from you're cool with it when I'm right next to you to, to you're cool with it when you're on your own at daycare or out in the playground or whatever it is. And we kind of need to get through every bit of that before we get to the point where we're like, you're completely independent and self-sufficient in managing that anxiety. Yeah, wow. Mm. Quite so we'll, do, we'll do a whole thing on that because it's such an important around that kind of toddler period that talks to the four-year-old as well that we got yeah, asked okay. about. Yeah, well, yeah, this process, right? It takes time. Mm. Yeah, but it's great though. And looking at it like that as a toolbox that I want to give this kid – that you know, I adore, but I want to give them skills to become more independent in how they can kind of handle some of that anxiety and wanting control and stress and always giving them an alternative instead of saying, like, stop scratching yourself, trying to think about, you know, what's actually happening and what's a, yeah. another thing that can be calming for kids. And, you know, that's why it's really important that role modelling plays almost the biggest role in any of this stuff because our kids are watching us to see what we do with stuff. And if we can role model, you know, this is the stuff that I do, whether it's breathing exercises or whatever, I don't care what it is. I care that it's the kid gets an opportunity to learn it mm. consistently. It's something that's actually achievable for them at their age and developmental ability. And you have a metric of, hey, that breathing exercise we're doing or whatever is actually means that, you know, little Nick is doing better. Yep. And I've seen improvements. He's not as stressed. He's not scratching himself as much. He's not holding his tummy and holding his bowels in place. So we'll keep doing it. If it's not, change it. Not change it, yeah. Yep. Adapt it. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, uh, final question, question six. Um, the Jaws music instantly gave me chills. Here's my question. My six-year-old is suffering big time with anxiety and sleep. The family had COVID and we kept her home for a week. She was mostly symptom-free. She went back to school 
Then school holidays started and she got a cold. Since then, she's been scared of closing her eyes because of some scary TV show thoughts in her head. She screams and panics when she... when Sorry, she screams and panics when the show appears on anything, so we turn it off. As we've all been sick for a while, with colds again and again for weeks, it's been hard to limit her TV, but we've been trying. She sees a school psychologist, and I went with her one week to talk about sleep. She gave me the callback cards game, and then it got a lot worse. Now she's terrified of yawning and tenses her body so much because I think she thinks it means sleep and that comes with a whole swag of associated problems. Mum and Dad are getting frustrated because we're exhausted. She's a highly sensitive child. Paediatrician and OT sensory profile have told us this and two pretty sensitive creative parents too. We've tried it all. But if we try breathing activities, she growls at us and wants no part of it. I'm guessing, uh, sorry, I'm guessing modelling is our best hope. Also, we need a G, also, also, we did see a GP and have started her on melatonin. Feels like our final hope to ride it out with her for a while. Oh, and she's just got another cold and is home from school, which she hates. P.S. What is my question? How do I help my child not scream, cry, get tense about yawning? Uh, and thank you for your podcast. Uh, you know when you type it all out and then you kind of realise what is going on. With a pedi- with paediatrician waitlist, having you respond and then answer the question is huge for us. And I mean, tr- and I mean typing this while crying with relief, uh, it's all good, uh, is huge. Also, uh, we rewrote the callback cards where mum and dad have to stay calm and if we lose our shit, we give her more cards. And now we've thrown the game out. I now realise that us losing it has a huge impact on her. What is the calling cards thing? Yeah, so it's funny because it's a um, strategy that sometimes educators use and therapists where it's kind of like, it's almost like going back to the previous episode about habits, about yeah. um, creating cues and creating kind of gotcha. pathways for kids to kind of guide them towards expected behaviour. So the kid flashes a card. Yeah, so it's giving cool. them options and it's... um. It's great, and this is a great example. This is why the reason this one's last is because it's my favourite question. Because the um, just the way that the parents sent through the information, yeah. do, 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 do. and that beautiful thing of like reflective practice, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like you know, and that's what we're doing. The whole podcast is about that. That's yeah. why I'm sure there's lots of other podcasts out there. I haven't seen one that kind of comes back to us the topic, yeah, yeah. Um, to reflect on it, and that's what we you know is evidence based. The programs that we do with schools and other professionals always has a reflective practice component to it. So that's why it's in the podcast. And that parent has almost gone through that experience on their own of Completely. kind of like I've typed it all out. So. There was like a gap; they'd written yeah. it all, and then you can see there's like the initial PS. You know, what's my question? And then later on, they come back at us and go, Ah, oh, yeah. now that I look at it all written out. Here's yeah. what I'm realizing, and you're like, Ah. Oh. Which is amazing and that's yeah. like the really big chunk of evidence around any of this stuff whether we're professionals or caregivers around kids is how do we reflect on what we're doing and that's our best opportunity to get better at it. So it's just such a beautiful way of doing that. And it's what's great about the callback cards thing as well because they've gone, cool, I'm invested, we're trying to work with the therapist, I've gone and seen them and decided this is the strategy. But, you know, it's not working, you can see, yep. and that's why the parents like, so we did this and we gave more cards and then we actually just threw them out. And it's... It's actually fine to do that. Like some of the other questions mm. when a psychologist or someone like me is involved or teachers or anyone, try and all be on the same page. It's a bit like even, you know, the two different parents, how they're like, they're fine with me but not with dad. I, I think that's fine. Whenever you're trying to focus on something specific though, consistency, especially around anxious kids is really important. So the same thing happens regardless of who it is, regardless of what environment it's in as much as possible. So it's really important that school is different to home. But when a child is stressed and freezing up and gripping the walls, yeah. it's really important that they don't have to go, oh, hang on a second, I'm in this classroom now or I'm at home now or I'm in dance class now. So it could be completely different because of that and being consistent. And that's why maybe they'll call back cards and maybe in the future they'll be awesome or maybe it's just a slight tweak. But 
engaging with the therapist and any of the families that I work with, they kind of guide what the priorities are and how we're going to do it. And my role is to bring the evidence into it and the experience I've had with all the other families I've worked with. So it's a really good example of that. Um, yeah, and I don't know, that that was the stuff that jumped out at me about um, this family. And they also see, you know, you can kind of tell that this parent sees themselves in this child because they're <laughs> yeah. like, we're all so <laughs> we're sensitive. All, we're all sensitive here. Yeah, yeah, yep. which is awesome. Um, it's the most important aspect of parenting. And once again, we'll do an entire episode on parenting styles and where the evidence is. But being responsive is really important. So, you know, the dismissive kind of parenting stuff is really unhelpful for kids in their development and mental health. One that stood out for me, and I'm guilty of it, is that they say mum and dad are getting frustrated and we're exhausted. Mm. What can they do for themselves to sort of figure that part out? Because that's – it's like a lot of these are like, oh, the – there is such a build-up to all this stuff which makes it so hard. Yeah. So, yeah, be, be selfish. And yep. that's in the best interest of the kid. Yep. Like the kids that I see in my patients, the parents never are. But sometimes the best thing that can happen in a clinic is that parents recognise that this is too much for them and they need to be a bit selfish. And that can be – I was speaking to my clinical team the other day. One of the hardest things for us in clinic is to try and get a parent to realise that they actually need to get support for their own mental health. It's not a failure because of them as a parent because they're seeking their own mental health support but and the other thing is often those parents are like no no no, i just need my baby to sleep and my mental health will be fine and i've got this really tough spot where i'm like actually your mental health will help you know supporting you better will help your baby sleep or coming help fresh your toddler that's having tantrums yeah or will help your teenager that's getting really stressed and overwhelmed and there's yeah, there's a couple of things in this, and I know that I've been going on a fair bit, but there's a, no. almost like a little kind of phobia element. I can't get a good feel of what's happened about the thing that the child is stressed about and if they see it on the iPad and all that stuff. But TV sometimes show comes into their head, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes kids will get a specific trigger, like it can be around certain animals or like say a lot of kids, not a lot of kids, but kids will have like a needle phobia or something where it's something really specific that invokes this really big fear response in them. And, you know, guiding that child with obviously the support of the psychologist that they've got involved in better understanding and coping with some of those triggers will be a really important part of it that kind of speaks to the, you know, the response that's going to be If good. I had a crack at this, and I've got no context, I've read the question that's come through and that's it. Yeah. These parents talking about. I can just say that for my kid that comes on repeatedly at home on ABC Kids is Peter Rabbit. And there's three characters in Peter Rabbit that will send my kid out of the room. And there's only about eight characters on the show. And it's Mr. McGregor, the owl, and Mr. Fox. And she is petrified of all of them. Yeah. I don't know. The show's on about four times a day. So I'm wondering if they're switching off the TV for that. Just a guess. I don't know. Not relevant to anything, yeah, yeah. but I'm like, man, that show. So cool. So that's a really good example. So you can kind of go, cool, I'll just, you know, how distressing is it for your child? Yeah. How frequently are they exposed to that? How much do they need to be exposed to that? And if you're like, and Peter Rabbit, but if it's like being in the classroom and that yeah. really freaks them out, it's or you know, seeing a dog or whatever, mm. and we're seeing dogs all the time, and it's causing this like daily or you know, a couple of times a week distress in my child, then mm. it's about cool. How do I get to the point like we spoke about earlier in the episode of exposure? How do I get to that? It's just you got to go through all the other steps first. Yep. And support them in the environment, all those things, small steps, small steps. Yeah, and really help understand what's going on for the little ones. And that's why this topic is not anxiety, it's understanding, understanding anxiety. It. Yep. And we'll go on to kind of therapeutic approaches to anxiety. And, you know, there's the important bit as well is that some of the biggest success that we see uh, in clinic, and I'm not saying this about any of the six kids that we've spoken about, is medication has a role in anxiety. And the reason is because there is a neurochemical thing that is happening for like a, you know, in their brains for these kids that sometimes they can't, when they get, when you get to severe levels of anxiety, often medication is required, not for the rest of their life. And it's only ever should be done in, in combination with therapy. But sometimes we see, and I, I can think of heaps of kids in my head where I've seen this huge success and we get to the point where we're like, cool, it's time to actually stop the medication because your child is doing amazingly well with that thing now. So we've kind of got to be careful. It's never the answer for anything that we're going to talk about on this podcast, medication, and it's a bit the same as the sleep stuff. I don't care about melatonin 
there needs to be strategies this child is learning to sleep better because it's a vicious cycle with anxiety anxiety makes it hard to fall asleep and makes you keep waking up and if you sl- if you're tired and sleep deprived and exhausted during the day your anxiety is going to be worse Spot. it's going to be harder to have positive helpful approaches same as the parent but it, it can't just be melatonin that's the answer to that and my goal is like cool when do we stop the melatonin when do we stop the medication for anxiety when do we stop the medication that's kind of coming in and what do we yeah, and probably what are we doing? What are the steps we're leading up to to do that? Not just it's a circuit breaker, but like what's everything else we're doing underneath it? Yeah, what is all the other stuff that complements it? So, yeah, this is, you know, this, that's why in this this experience that we've kind of walked through in the way that you read that out of this amazing, you know, parent who is also identifying how sensitive they are is a strength in, in that parent and also in that child that they've picked up from them. And that's what's happened is that you're more likely – you know, because of genetic, you know, aspects of our kids, you're more likely that your child, if you're sensitive, will also be sensitive. Well, Bill, it doesn't sound like this is going to be the last time we're going to talk about anxiety. No. Like this is the first time we're going to talk about it, right? And just understanding it. So it feels like we've got a bunch of episodes in time, not specifically following this one, about anxiety and treatments and learning about what treatments are and, and those sorts of things. Is that kind of where we're going to go with this? Yeah, definitely. We'll go, as always, where the listeners lead us. We've kind of gone off our plan from about three episodes in. <laughs> we've just been guided by listeners. But the important bit is we've seen a bit of a spike in people that might not realise that our back episodes have stuff that's specific to this too. Our sleep one, for example, we got lots of questions this week about sleep and anxiety I think I told you I found out that a state service in another state outside of the one we're in actually uses has a QR code for our sleep episode on their clinical handout, which is awesome because we find a lot of professionals are finding this a helpful resource. Um, yeah, because you can kind of give them this deep evidence based stuff. It's yep. just I always laugh about when I heard that story because I'm like these people are going home and then they're hearing about. Adam Sandler and Big Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Cool. When does the sleep stuff happen? <laughs> so but we do that intentionally. And the same, there's been a lot of questions around school refusal and we had a lot of professionals leaning in on that one and saying, God, that's really helpful. Yeah. And just on our sixth question to the person um, uh, who said they were getting frustrated, both parents being frustrated, um, and you talked about parental mental health. We have two episodes on that. I think off the top of my head is 22 and 23 is parental mental health. Yeah, I know that. Can you remember the movie? I uploaded it to the website yesterday, and I talked about parental mental health. What was the movie? It's not big. No, it's not big. I said it's not big. Um, Are you testing me? Oh no! Sorry. No, no, I can't think of it. I can't think of it. I'm always forward looking at what the next. I know it's pre will hunting, and then it's post big. Yeah, I can't remember. But God, I I've still been reflecting on like just how good. The Aliens one was about how Sigourney Weaver approaches news and like Arnold Schwarzenegger, how he supports John Connor when the Terminator is chasing him. So there's a lot of stuff that we talk about that's in previous episodes. So please, there's, we're seeing a big climb in people listening to us, but it'd be cool for people to go back and we can come back to topics. We're going to come back to anxiety. We're going to come back to heaps of stuff. We're just being led. Yeah, we're 15, uh, 16 topics deep at the moment. So a lot of stuff is covered that we do talk about. So... Uh, if you like the ones you've just listened to that got you here, please go back and listen to the other ones because they um, uh, they are frankly timeless. They don't age. There's nothing in them that's news related, so it's all about the topic and the breakdown to give you uh, enough knowledge to sort of tackle it. And then there's obviously the follow-up episode to all of those. So listening to part A first is great or jumping to part B, but I think part you know, the first part's awesome. Yeah, feedback. Five-star reviews. <laughs> Cannot five-star review us enough. Cannot feedback enough um, and leave comments. Uh, we're trying to learn from it like we are with everything around parenting. Um, but I think that's it for this week, Billy. Yep. So I'd like to thank everyone for their questions um, and thanks for letting us sort of read out the longer form ones. We thought the context around these would just be so much more helpful so that parents actually knew what other parents were going through. Um yeah, and saying that really it's not cool. just them and it's not something they're doing wrong and all totally. that stuff. These are all amazing parents that are somehow finding the time to send in this stuff to us. Yeah, and we appreciate the real honesty and vulnerability. Uh, again, it's always anonymous each week, so don't stress about asking the questions. Uh, we appreciate it. And looking forward to episode 31 next week. We're still deciding what that's going to be, um, as often we do. There's not a great... Please send in movies too because um, oh. Back to the Future, great, great one that we hadn't thought about. So <laughs> yes. it's great that someone you know mentioned that. 
There's no roads, Marty. All right, awesome, guys. Thanks very much. Appreciate your time and uh, back soon with another episode. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Billy. Just use your best judgment. We trust you.